Welcome to Forming the Spirit Within, a teaching ministry of Pastor Brad Riley. Pastor Brad is an associate and teaching pastor at First Church of the Nazarene here in Wichita, Kansas. He is the founder and director of the Merciful Servants of Christ, as well as the author of numerous articles. And now, here's Pastor Brad. But this is week two in what I'm calling Unlocking the Mystery of Prayer. Last week, um, we didn't get too far. We didn't get too, we, I, I was going to say we didn't get too deep, but we actually did get pretty deep because this is a deep subject. But, and hi, good to see you. Grab some, there's some soup back here and some desserts. Um, but then there's also some notes on the end of the table there, Tawanda, okay. that you'll need for tonight. Okay, thank you. Um, and so last week, we, we, I want to cover just a few of the things, for those of you who maybe weren't able to hear it, I want to cover a few of the things we talked about and then pick up where we left off. And uh, I shared some thoughts from Richard Foster's book called The Celebration of Discipline. Looks like this. Well, this is the jacket. This is the 20th anniversary printing. If you've never seen it, it's been out for since 1970-something. Um, Richard Foster actually worked on this and wrote this when he was here in Wichita. Uh, he was a professor at Friends University, a religion and philosophy pr professor there, and it's a, just an excellent handbook on the spiritual life. It's called uh, The Path to Spiritual Growth, Celebration of Discipline. And one of the disciplines that he, of course, acknowledges in there as an inner discipline is prayer. Uh, prayer, fasting, study, uh, and I forget the other one right now. But he, my mind just forgot it. Let me look on the meditation. Yeah, meditation, prayer, fasting, and study. He calls the inner disciplines. Um, and in his chapter on prayer, he says this. And I put these notes up there, thoughts from week one. So the thoughts from week one were this, real prayer is, on your notes, and you, if you have an ink pen, you can just fill it in the blank, unless you took notes last week. Real prayer is life creating and life changing. Think about that with me for a minute. Real prayer is life creating and life changing. What we're endeavoring what we're endeavoring to study tonight and these coming weeks when we talk about prayer is nothing more than union, I mean nothing more, nothing less uh, than union with Almighty God. And wherever there is union with Almighty God, there is life, creation of new life. Uh, we are born anew through the process of prayer. Uh, he tells us that prayer ushers us into a perpetual communion with God. Perpetual communion with God. That's a deep thought. You know, is there ever a time when we're not in communion with God? Well, probably not from God's perspective. You know, God is everywhere, and His Holy Spirit is, as, as many of the old prayers say, present everywhere and filling all things. God is everywhere, but yet... From our perspective, there's probably a lot of times when we're not present with God, when we don't feel present with God, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, so prayer ushers us into perpetual communion with God. And then Richard Foster says prayer is the central avenue that God uses to transform us. Now, I want you to think about that for just a moment. 
We want to be transformed. That's why we are Christians. That's why we study. That's why we worship. We want to be transformed. You know, the Apostle Paul writes in, in uh, his Roman letter in chapter 12, to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. He doesn't use the word prayer there. But the reality of the truth is that it's in prayer that we, our minds are truly renewed. When we're thinking, we're going to talk about that because there's different kinds of prayer. And one of them is that ability to think on God. Okay, that is a form of prayer, and I'll get to that later. Um, James chapter 4, verse 3, we read last week, teaches us that we do not receive because we ask wrongly. That hurts. Okay, that hurts when we stop and think that we could ask wrongly. And for years I would tell people, just because prayer is one of those subjects that it seems like if we're all honest, we all have hang-ups with it. And right here on the board, I, I wrote the answers to some of your anonymous questions. I had you write out a paper last week. Not the answers, I mean the, the, the things that you shared. On what is prayer, I asked the question, what is prayer to you? And what questions do you have about prayer? Just anonymously turn the papers over, shuffle them, give them to me. I didn't even read them until a few days later, so I have no idea what your handwriting looks like. I don't know whose is whose. Okay? And so then I copied them down here and tried to, tried to kind of put them together and, and bring them uh, maybe combined to the... So if you don't see your exact wording up there, it, it should be represented in one of those. But the idea, I used to tell people that you can't pray wrong, just pray. Just by all means, pray something. Just pray. And, and there, is a, there is a simple truth to that. Maybe that's where we all begin. But what I want to do in the process of this class is encourage you to be mountain climbers. Okay? I want to encourage you to be mountain climbers. Because prayer is, and I think maybe I borrow, I'm borrowing this from Foster probably in one of his books. This is the Himalayas of our faith. The highest mountain we can climb is the mountain of prayer. Um, and, and when we do, we are attempting to. This is the one tower that God wants you to build. Remember the Tower of Babel and how God confused their languages and you know people wanted to. Why did, why did he do that? Because they wanted to reach God. Because they wanted to be God. They wanted to control the world. Well, this is the one tower. If we can think of this mountain the mountain of prayer. God wants you to climb it. He wants to meet you at every step of the way. And, and perhaps the top of the mountain is just when we're with God. When we're with God in total unity, in total, in, in, in total glory. And, and I don't know, but I, I have heard, I, I believe, and I don't know anyone, but I believe that is even possible in this life. I believe there are people in this life who have so devoted themselves to God, I don't know any, I don't even know if any are alive today, but I'm saying throughout history of Christian thought. There are some who have been so holy and so devoted to God and so walked with God that they were given the vision of God's uncreated light. Can I take you back to the Mount of Transfiguration? Do you remember the story in Mark chapter 8 and 9 about the Mount of Transfiguration? Peter, James, and John are going with Jesus up onto Mount Tabor in, outside of the Galilean, in the Galilean hillside. 
And on the Mount of Trans, they call it the Mount of Transfiguration because as they went up on the mountain, it says suddenly Jesus was transfigured and he, he's, his clothing and everything around him just glowed whiter than white. And beside him was Moses and Elijah and they were talking with Jesus. And while we don't have time to study what all of that means, okay, I covered that when I covered the Gospel of Mark in my weekday Bible studies. You can go back and find the podcast maybe. But it's worth listening to just because that is one of the most, one of the most important stories in the Gospels is the Mount of Transfiguration. Because in that experience, Peter, Peter James, and John, they, they fall down in awe and they say to Jesus, shall we just, maybe we should build a tabernacle right here, one for each of you, you know, one for Jesus, one for Moses, one for Elijah. And uh, they're just dumbstruck. They don't know what else to do but fall down and worship because they saw the uncreated light of God. I want you to think about that with me. The creed, the ancient Christian creed, the Nicene Creed tells us that Jesus Christ, I believe in Jesus Christ, only Son of the Father, begotten before all worlds. In other words, from the beginning of time, before time. Begotten, not made. God from God, light from light. Where did light come from? Yeah, God, God created, the, you go back to Genesis and it says he created the, the great light to rule the day and the great light to rule the night, the sun and the moon, right? And let there be light. Where did the light come from? What is the light? What's the source of that light? The source of that light is God. It is Jesus Christ, the light. That's why John calls him the light of the world. There is a light that is brighter than anything we can experience. You know, we've got some pretty fancy bulbs in different rooms around this church, and they're always trying to sell us new bulbs and figure out how to get different lumens and different brightness. But there's a light that is uncreated. This light is created, okay? The sun is created by God, but there's a light that's uncreated. And that's the glory of God. And there are stories of people who have been so holy throughout the ages that they literally saw and were privileged to see the uncreated light of God, just like Peter, James, and John were. I can't imagine that experience. I really can't. Because I'm pretty far from that holy. I'm pretty sure I am. But, uh, but that's what we're doing. We're climbing that mountain with prayer. The mountain of prayer. And at the top of that mountain is the uncreated light of God. Maybe we'll be there in heaven. Maybe we'll be there here on earth. Who knows? Probably for most of us, it's going to be heaven. But what a goal. So don't give up. Um, but I say that because James tells us we can ask wrongly. And I told people, just pray, pray. Don't. No. My, I have a good friend who's a Catholic priest here in town. He, his name is Father Sherlock. Father Sherlock was the pastor of the Catholic Cathedral downtown for like 18 years. He's retired now, but he was very instrumental in, in, in a prayer group that I was instrumental in starting. Myself and a Catholic layman, we started a prayer group called the Ecumenical Christian Prayer Group of Wichita. And we met one month here at First Nazarene, and one month we would meet at, first Friday of every month, at the Catholic Cathedral. And we'd meet at 6 in the morning for prayer, common prayer. What could Catholics and Protestants pray about? You know, we, I remember telling my Catholic friend, can't we just pray together? Isn't there a common work? We have a same God. Let's just pray together. And so 
we tried this experiment. We went for nine years. Lots of different people came through. Um, Father Sherlock was always there. And Father Sherlock, when, when we were first starting out, we were trying to find prayers that wouldn't offend anyone. You know, Protestants didn't want to pray the Hail Mary. And, you know, and then somebody didn't want to do that. And then another guy said, well, I don't know. There's a beautiful prayer that talks about Christ, the soul of Christ, sanctify me. And he said, well, does Christ have a soul? You know, well, the answer is yes, by the way. But we weren't going to argue about it because we weren't there to argue. And it wasn't a theology group. We were there to pray in common unity. So, well, that prayer's out. We didn't use that one uh, rather than try and educate over it. Um, but we, ha- we ended up with a beautiful list of prayers. We would alternate reading these prayers. Some of them were written 1,000 years ago or more. Some of them were, uh, and then we would alternate a written prayer from some great sage or saint through the ages and one, and we would pray extemp- what I call extemporaneously, okay? We'll get into more of that in coming weeks when we talk about uh, that kind of prayer. But I'm just giving you the overviews tonight, and in that process, Father Sherlock would say, because my friend, the Catholic friend, he would scratch it out, you know, and, well, okay, we can't play that one, and, and he would worry about we've got to pick the right prayer. And Father Sherlock would say, Michael, prayer is prayer. <laughs> With his little Irish brogue, he would say, prayer is prayer. You know, and I love that phrase, prayer is prayer. And I, because I, you know, prayer is prayer. But James tell us, tells us we, we do not receive because we ask wrongly. So there's something to this process of prayer that we could get wrong. And if you look at these questions everybody has on the board, Is God answering my prayer? Does God listen to the qualities or the quantities? How can we know God hears? I'm not sure I get through. You know, how can I pray with meaning? It feels like God isn't listening. There is enough frustration in prayer in in a lot of people. And I saw this when I was teaching years ago in in Sunday school classes that Whenever we would talk about prayer, people would just say, man, I don't get it. It's just so hard. Prayer's hard. And for some people, prayer is the easiest thing in the world. But for some people, it's hard. So we're going to try and get ourselves into a better understanding of just what prayer is. And Richard Foster's helping us uh, with some of these thoughts. And here's the final progression in, in what I think is Richard Foster's thoughts here. Real prayer is learning to think God's thoughts after him. God's thoughts after. After him. Capital H-I-M. After God, in other words. So, learning to think God's thoughts after God. Okay. In other words, who's the source of your thought that you're praying? Is it just your own self-will? Your own mind? Or is it God's thought? And, and he goes through in his chapter and kind of breaks that out a little bit. Because ultimately what he's saying is, Jesus says, ask anything you will. We covered this just a little bit last week. We touched on it. Central themes will come up each week because they're so important. And we'll break it open a little bit more. Jesus said, ask anything in my name and it will be given to you. It will be done for you. What in the world do you mean by that? Because I can guarantee everybody in this room has said something in Jesus' name and ask for something in Jesus' name. It just didn't happen. Well, we have to go back to the drawing. So what does it mean to ask in Jesus' name? In the Hebrew world of Christ, the ancient world, in the believing 
God-believing, God-fearing Hebrew world, a name was the essence of a person. Okay, names were very important. And to ask in God's name would be to place yourself and your request into his essence. To try to, okay, to try to. We can't really place ourselves in the essence of God. I'm, I'm going to give you a little quick, quick, quick rabbit hole here. Okay, the rabbit hole that I'll go down real quick. Essence and energies. Okay, we cannot know God in his essence. Write this down if you're taking notes. We cannot know God in his essence. In his essence, he is unknowable. But in his energies, we can. His energies is his creative force in the world. His Holy Spirit that works in our world. Creation around us. Even ourselves. We are, we are trying to get in touch with the energy of God in our world. God himself is holy beyond anything the human mind could ever imagine. See, if we could say, why is this such an important theological point? Because if we could say we could know God in his essence, well, we would be God. We would be another God on par with him to know him. Because to know is a very intimate thing. The Hebrew world, when they talked about a man and a woman having sexual relations as husband and wife, it was to know them. Okay? Because this is there's an intimacy implied there. Now, so essence and energies. When I said a minute ago, so we're trying to get in touch with God's essence. What I really meant to say was we're trying to get in touch with his energies, to know him as he, in other words, we can only know of God what he is willing to reveal to us. Okay? Because he's the master. He's the, he's the sovereign. He's the creator. And he chooses what we can know. And he's given us so much we'll never exhaust it in this lifetime. Okay? His, his word is the self-revelation of God to us. Who could ever master all that's in that word? No one. Memorize it word to word. It's not going to help you master it. It's a living, breathing revelation of God. There's so much. I mean, none of us could be smart enough to know every cultural nuance that's there to just master the word of God. Okay, so the church. I believe the church is an expression of God's revelation. Because it is the body of Christ. The church is the body of Christ. I shouldn't say it. I should say she. Okay, the church is always a feminine article. The church is feminine. Okay? Just like the Holy Spirit is, if you look at the words that speak of the Holy Spirit in Greek or Hebrew, it's always feminine. Okay? Do you know what I mean by that when I say neuter, the neuters of a, of a noun? Do you, is everybody on track with me there? Okay, it's a feminine article. Why? Because we know that God in his essence is, contains all that is male and female. Male and female are the creations of God. Okay? God is neither male nor female. Jesus, because it flows, what, everything that is a male, everything that is a female comes from God. Okay? God the Son, Jesus Christ, eternally begotten of the Father before all worlds, is male. Okay? Father, why do we call God Father? Because this is how he chose to reveal himself to the world as a, a male pronoun, as Father. Okay? 
There's nothing wrong with that. It's not sexist. It's not even ultimately because nowhere in the Word of God does He put does God ever put down females, ever. If we truly understand male and female, we must understand them as perfectly equal, with different gifts and abilities. And it, 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 but the, if we if we anything if we understand anything less than that, we don't understand God's creation. Male and female are equal. Okay, now. I can see that was a little short rabbit hole I wanted to go down. Why do I say that? Because real prayer is learning to think God's thoughts after him. In other words, can I so center my heart and mind and soul on God that I would not just pray what I want, but I would pray for what he wants me to want. Okay? What he wants me to want. Um, Almost broke out in a rock song there. There you go. I want you to want me. You know, there's probably a, 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 you know, I want you to want me. That's God singing to us. You know, I want you to want me. Okay? God wants us to want what he wants for us. Okay? So, why did you, so the only model, the really the only model we have in prayer is really not, let's give God our list of things. It's the Lord's prayer. It's Jesus' prayer. When finally the, the, the disciples looked to their master, Lord Jesus, and they said, would you teach us how to pray? I mean, they saw something in Jesus that was so connected with the Father in his prayer. And remember, he's a human. He's God, too, but he's still human. He's all human and all God. It's a mystery. And this all human being that, that cried and loved and bled prayed like nobody they'd ever seen pray before. And they said, teach us to pray. And the only model we have are his words. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed, which means holy, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. There's a petition. We're going to talk about that in a little while. That's a style of prayer, a petition. But what's the petition for? Thy kingdom to come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, which is perfect in heaven, okay? Give us this day our daily bread. I know I love bread. I really do. But, I mean, if if we really believe that's talking about just bread, we're missing something great. And if you really just believe it's talking about, well, our daily necessities, you're missing the point there too. We, when we take this word back to the Greek, okay, epiousius, I can't spell it for you. I can barely even say it. I can barely even say it. Epiousius is a Greek word that means literally as best it can, super substantial bread. It's the body of Christ. It's God as our nourishment for our soul. It's communion with him. Why did Jesus choose bread for his body, not steak? Okay? Bread and wine, not steak and lobster. (laughs) Because it was, they understood bread was was prevalent. It was, you know, with grains and it was easy to make, but it was prevalent and it was, it was, if that's all you had, you know, it would fill you up. Um, They worked hard enough, they didn't have to worry about the carbohydrates packing up on him. So, you know, his bread was substantial. But Jesus says, give us this day our super substantial bread. 
In other words, he's teaching them to pray, God, give us Christ. Give us the body of Christ. Forgive us our transgressions, our sins, even as we forgive those who sin against us. Confession. We recognize that we must be pure. Psalm, I want to say 69, I could get it wrong, you know, don't hold me to it, says that if I had sin in my heart, you would not hear my prayer, oh God. Forgiveness. We must be pure for our prayers to ascend. We must be open to being, forgiving everyone. Okay, that means when something comes to our mind, we must forgive. Jesus even goes on to say in the Gospels, uh, if you do not forgive others, your Heavenly Father will not forgive you. Forgiveness is huge. <laughs> so, what does he say after that? Forgive us our trespasses. We forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation. But deliver us, literally in the Greek, deliver us from the evil one. Okay? Not just from evil, but the evil one. Satan, who is the great adversary. Deliver us from temptation. Do you know I actually read an article recently that Pope Francis, very controversial Pope. I like many things about him. He's a cool guy, but I also don't agree with several things with him. But And, and this one just blew me out of the water. When I read an article in a French newspaper, I don't read French newspapers, but I mean it was published in a French newspaper and I was reading an English article that, that picked it up. You know what I mean? But he said Pope Francis said he was thinking about changing the wording to the Lord's Prayer because nobody understands it. Deliver and lead us not into temptation. Well, God doesn't lead us into temptation anyway. So why are we asking him to deliver us from us? You know, that is a Hebraic, and if the Pope doesn't know this, wow. I mean, because I'm not smarter than the Pope. Trust me, I'm not trying to say I am. But that's not something we need to change. We just need to explain it to our people. Jesus was talking a Hebraic expression that says, do not let me fall into temptation. Do not let me give in to temptation, Father. That's what he's trying to say. Okay? Lead us not into temptation. Don't let us be led in the way of temptation. You know? Um, Deliver us from the evil one. And that's where it stops. That's the end of the Lord's Prayer. Okay? We all think it goes on. For thine is the kingdom, and thine is the power, and thine is the glory. That's not it. Jesus didn't say that. Okay? Those words are actually later additions in the manuscript evidence we have. It's beautiful to pray them. It's not a problem. Go ahead and pray it. Unless you're in a Catholic church, church, you're going to be the only one saying those words. That's right. You just blurt it right out. (laughs) But but it's okay. And and in our little ecumenical Christian prayer group, guess which one we used? The Protestant version. We use the one that has the extras. Because it's in the Catholic Bible, too. And they do pray it. They just don't pray it all at once. Because... It's, they use it as a liturgical response. It's a dialogue. Liturgy is a dialogue between the priest, the people, and God. Okay? And so they're all praying certain parts. And when the people get to the part that says, and deliver us from evil, and then the priest speaks on their behalf and says, deliver us, O Lord, from every evil, and grant us peace in our day. And in your mercy, keep us free from sin and protect us from all anxiety as we wait in the joyful hope for the coming of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Those words give me chills. That's a Nazarene prayer. Keep us free from all sin. I mean, come on. That's a holiness prayer, right? And then the people chime in and say, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. It's there in the Catholic Church. It's just broken up. 
you know? So pray it if you want to pray it. It's not a problem. Um, so that, I, I wanted to cover all of that because I wanted to get you a feel for I I didn't do a very good job last week because I was under a lot of rushing around pressure last week. And I, I wanted to kind of come back through it. I don't want to rush through this class. At the end of this class, when well, however many weeks it goes, and I don't even know how many weeks it's going to go, you'll tell me because you'll quit coming. <laughs> um, but, but, but the point is, I, I want us to get what God wants us to get about prayer. Okay. And what he wants us to get about prayer will be different for each of us because we're all at a different... If you think of Jacob's ladder climbing to heaven, we're all on a different rung. Okay, it's just reality. Some of us are further along than others, and guess what happens to some of us that are further along? We fall off the ladder, and then we have to climb back up. So um, it's all a journey. So the key to unlocking the mystery of prayer, I mentioned this last week, and I want to take you through it. I want to spend the balance of our time on, let me give you the notes here. On, see where it says, are there, there are three different kinds of prayer? Are, are there different kinds of prayer? Question mark. And I listed one, two, three. Mm-hmm. Well, there's probably many different, more than this. I'm just breaking things down into three big categories, okay? And, and for the sake of tonight's class. One is petitionary prayer. Okay, so you can write that word, petitionary prayer. What do I mean by that? Petitionary prayer is um, requests. Probably what the bulk of our prayers are, if we're honest. Okay, if we're honest. And that's okay. God meets us where we're at. Doesn't always want us to stay where we're at. He wants us to keep growing. Two is scripture prayer. Scripture prayer. We'll, we'll break these down. I'm going to spend some time on petitionary prayer tonight. But we'll break these down in coming weeks, okay? Scripture prayer. Can't, can't, when, when, when you read this Bible, you can read it two ways. When you read your Bible, you can read it two ways. You can read, well, probably more than that, but two main ways. You can read it for study, for theological, philosophical knowledge. Or you can read it as prayer. You can pray these words. And you can, I'll give you examples of that. We'll get there, okay? Not tonight. Um, Third one is contemplative. Contemplative. Contempt. Think of the word contempt. Okay. C-O-N-T-E-M-P-T. Contempt. L. No, there's C-O-N-T-E-M-P-L. Not, there's no T at the end of the P. Contemplative. P-L-A-T-I-V-E. Contemplative. And that means, that's a meditative, that's a, that's a, that's a, Silent. That's a. Uh, we'll get into all that in coming weeks. But for tonight, in unlocking the mystery of prayer, I introduced the idea last week at the end of class that um, that God's providence is based on His. The providence of God is the good things that happen in our world, or, or not just the good. We think of providential. We always want to align it with good. But, I mean, anything that God's activity in the world is his providence, okay? Because it's what he planned to do. It's God's plan for the world, okay? And we introduced the idea that his plan for the world is based on his predestined will, his predestined thoughts, his predestined plan for how the world would go. 
And then I introduced the idea that our prayer actually makes a difference in how God planned the world to be. Now that's a mouthful, so we're going to break it apart, and I couldn't, couldn't do it justice last week towards the end. Um, so let me begin, let me back up and, and take you there. In the book of, why do I say that God has a plan for the world, and it's not just willy-nilly, okay? Nor is it, the universe is not closed either, okay? Some people actually believe that everything is determined, What's going to happen tomorrow has already been determined by God, and it's going to happen regardless. Okay? If that's your belief, I'm going to ask you to consider something different. Okay? Because I don't believe the universe is closed. Um, now, in, in there's several places in Scripture. Just one of the many uh, we find in, um, in the book of Ephesians. In the book of uh, Ephesians, it says, I thought I had it marked. Okay, Romans. These little pages go so fast. Okay, um, I think four times in the first chapter of the Ephesian letter, the Apostle Paul says, I'll get there in just a minute, Galatians, Ephesians, I'm close, here we go. One, two, three. Uh, he uses this thought of predestination. Some, of you, some people get nervous about that word because it sounds like our Presbyterian friends, you know, some to have, damned to heaven. I mean, some damned to hell and some going to make it to heaven and it's all been determined before the beginning of the world. There's nothing you can do about it. That's not what I'm teaching. Okay, it's not what I'm teaching. Listen to this. Blessed be God, this is chapter 1, Ephesians verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. In Christ. Just as he chose us, okay, God's choice, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself according to the kind intention of his will. God has a will, God made choices. And he predestined us. Okay. In him we have, so he says, to the praise and glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. Freely bestowed, very important words. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the richness of his grace, which he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight. And he made known to us the mystery of his will. Who's us? Paul is speaking for the apostles now. God made known to the apostles the mystery of his, that is God's will. That's why the apostles are who they are. He knew that they would get it, and he knew that they would use it, and they would teach it, and they would follow him, and they would be obedient to him. And he, I mean, let's face it, the apostle Paul, he got it, man. God used him to write three-fourths of the New Testament. Just amazing guy, the Apostle Paul. And his his depth of the knowledge of God's will. The mystery of God's will. So he said, God has made known to us the mystery of his will according to his kind intention which he purposed in him with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times that is the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things on the earth in him. Also, we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined, there's that word again, according to his purpose, 
There's his will, who works all things after the counsel of his will. I read that scripture because I wanted you to hear. It's a scriptural doctrine that God has a will for the world. God has a predestined plan for the world, and we're part of it. So where do we fit in? And how does prayer relate to that? That's what I want to talk about with the, kind of the balance of our time tonight. <clears throat> Romans, there's one more scripture we have to read, and it's Romans chapter 8. Okay? Romans chapter 8. The, the, the Himalayas of the Gospel of, according to St. Paul. Romans chapter 8 begins with those incredible words, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, finishing with those words about nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. But in just before he gets there, in about verse 29, he says this. <clears throat> for, I'll start with verse 28. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. There's his purpose again. There's his will. Okay. So, and then verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, he predestined. Those whom he foreknew, he predestined. To become conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom he predestined, he also called. And these whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. Wow. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? What does it mean that God, according to his foreknowledge, those whom he foreknew, he predestined? It means that God, before the foundation of the world, before creation, before anything, before angels, before stars, before heavens, before earth, before from the counsel of his own will, whatever that was like, before creation. The eternal being, that is who God is, the eternal being, triune being, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, knew all that would ever happen. Foreknowledge. Now, for God, it's not foreknowledge. It's just knowledge. For us, we humans writing this, we think of foreknowledge. He must have known, he knew before. For God, there is no before. For God, there is no after. God is the eternally present being. Okay? God exists outside of time and space. Always has, always will. He's eternal. Okay? Now, so before all of creation, he foreknew everything that would ever happen. And he still chose to create. He knew all the horrible things. You want to answer the question, why do bad things happen to good people? And how could a loving God allow those kind of bad things to happen? Because they don't have to happen. It's our choice to make the world bad, or it's our choice to make the world beautiful. So think about that with me for a minute. He freely chose us. We believe in free will. Not all Christians believe in free will. But we do. Why? Because it's the only way love exists. Love freely gives or it isn't love. Okay? Love doesn't manipulate. Love has to have someone else to give itself to. 
And we are free beings, free moral agents, we call it in theology. And in that freedom, God has given us the choice to obey or to not obey, to live or to die, to do good or to do harm. And just because Adam and Eve sinned doesn't mean that you and I are going to sin. It means that we now have the capability to sin. They always had the Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve always had the capability to sin because they were the perfectly free beings. Okay, and they're guilty of their sin. I'm not guilty of Adam and Eve's sin. You know what sin I'm guilty of? Mine. I'm not guilty of yours. I'm not guilty of Adam and Eve's. I'm guilty of mine. There are some Christians that teach we're guilty of Adam and Eve's sin. They call it original sin, and in our manual, I know it states original sin, but we don't really believe it's guilt. We use that word because we don't know what else other word to use because it was kind of the original first sin. But if you'll read carefully in our manual, it also says that we're not guilty of it. We are, but we are affected by it. We are fallen. We are born with a propensity to sin. But it's not sin until we're culpable of it. Now, this isn't a class on sin, and I can't go too far down that road. But what I want you to hear is that knowing everything, that whatever happened, God still chose to create. Now, here's where it gets good. Look on your papers with me. When did God, if God knew everything that would ever happen, that means he knew every prayer you, every prayer you would ever pray. He knew every prayer that everyone would ever pray. He knew everything that would ever happen. When did God hear your prayers? If we stop and pray right now, would you answer that God heard our prayer right now? He, I would, but he also knows the, the cry of my heart before I even voice it. Where I'm leading you, I'm leading you to get something that's huge. And once you get it, once you get it, it will train, change your life, okay? Yes. He knew our prayer before we were even existing. He heard our prayer before the foundation of the world. Because he knows everything that would ever happen. And if he heard our prayer before the foundation of the world, he can hear it now. He built his plan up. But but now I'm going to complicate it for you. What if we never pray it? What if we never pray? It wasn't there for him to hear. Whoa, I know. Some of your eyes just went, what? I know this is mind-blowing. It takes a while to get it. If we don't pray, if I, I pray for my lost friend, my neighbor who's lost, my son who's lost, or who, my son's not lost. A bad example. But, but, I mean, a person, you might pray, you know, a child is lost or whatever. You're praying so hard for them or the lost, whatever, you know. It, does it make a difference? Yes. It makes all the difference in the world because if you never prayed, it was never there for God to hear before the foundation of the world. And you never planned for that person to be predestined as part of the elect. Oh, my goodness. If we ever get this, guys, why are we holding this class? There are only... Eight people in here? And I want to shout this from the rooftop so that everybody gets it. I didn't figure this out until the last few years, okay? And smart people, way smarter than me, helped me figure it out. Okay. Prayer matters. 
Prayer is everything because it's the prayers of the people of God on which he heard before the foundation of the world on which he made his plan for the world. I, I, I can't, I, I'm sorry, I get excited about this. I cannot tell you how important. So how important is prayer? Let, look on your page. To realize that God heard our prayers from before time began and made his plan for the world. However, if we never pray, and I didn't finish it so you can take your notes if you want to. If we never pray, it is never there for God to hear. Your prayer, whatever it is, was never there for God to hear. Okay. So tomorrow, something cataclysmic happens in our world. Okay? Do we say, oh well, God ordained that cataclysmic thing to happen, that horrible thing to happen. No, we don't. Okay? The world has fallen just like we are. Our creation is groaning. There are cataclysmic things like hurricanes and tornadoes and the horrible stuff that happens. And planes fall out of skies and terrorists bomb things and people get disease. But, but the reality is you and I could be in prayer for our world for tomorrow. There's a novel idea. You and I could be in prayer for our world tomorrow. That God's will would be done and that God's Glory would be known in the God's... I mean, there are three billion people on the face of the earth that say they're Christian. Out of six billion. It's probably up to seven by now. It's grown so fast. But it's somewhere in the six to seven billion. Half of us roughly say they're Christian. Of some kind or another. What difference could it make if everyone knew this? If everyone understood this? If everyone really prayed? So what... What difference does your prayer make? It makes all the difference. So let's look at some of the questions. We Is God answering? Does God listen? How can we know God hears? I'm not sure I'm getting through. How to pray. To do all of this justice, I'm, I'm going to probably carry over into another week. But I've still got a little time if you'll give me some time. Because here's what I want us to hear. When I, I'm not, trust me, I've, been in every one of these questions, okay? They're not unique to you, whoever's questions they are. Don't feel bad about having these questions. It's the human experience. We need someone to walk us through it. But there are answers to every one of these questions. So let's just begin with this one. How can we know that God hears us? Because his word tells us he does. And we and God is truth. God is light. And in him, John tells us in his first letter, in him there is no darkness at all. Does anybody here believe that God would lie to you? No, he can't. God cannot lie. By his very nature, he cannot lie. There are two things that I know that I can say with confidence right here. God can't do it. And, and, and I don't have to get nervous about getting struck dead either. Two things. You want to know what they are? The first one is he cannot lie. Because that would be foreign to his nature. And the second one is, is he can't interfere with your free will. He can't. It's not that he won't. He can't. Because if he could, he wouldn't be God. He wouldn't be the pure source of love. And that create. you see what I'm saying? He would not be. He would be a manipulative, mechanical being. And we would be wrong. God cannot. He will not. He will not. He cannot pretty strong language either way 
But I think it's important for us to understand that he can't. We, we, so if we think, well, no, Brad, he can do whatever he wants to do. Yeah, you're right, except violate his own nature. God cannot violate his nature. It's heavy stuff, isn't it? But good. Stay with me. If nobody comes back next week, I'll know that this was a bad idea. You're kind of like, okay, I don't want to go that deep, Brad. Forget it. Um, because because this, is, this is revolutionary stuff. This is what will change the world. I'm just naive enough to believe that if we really prayed like we knew we could and it would matter, we knew how much it mattered, we would be different, our world would be different. Instead of sitting on our hands going, oh, well, it's God ordained it. It just happens the way God planned it to happen, you know. The world's going to hell in a handbasket, and, you know, Jesus will come back someday, and then it'll all be over, and, you know. No! No, don't think that. Because the truth is, Jesus will come back someday. And it tells us in the Word that there will be wars and rumors of wars and all kinds of problems, yes, but you know what? We have a choice. You and I have a choice. We can sit on our hands and let the world go to hell in a handbasket, or we could start praying that the world become better and that lost people will see Jesus. And we can start. And you pray long enough, guess what happens? You change. Like Foster said to us last week, to pray is to change. It's the central avenue in which God uses to transform us. When we truly get this, okay, when we really get this, all we want to do is pray. Oh, wow. All we want to do is pray. And don't quit your job tomorrow so you can stay home and pray, okay? Because that's not God's plan either. God's going to help you learn how to pray at work, okay? I do it all the Good for you, good for you. Because, you know, I was just reading this week, and I can't remember what book it was in, on my prayer retreat. I had a prayer retreat this week. So if I'm preaching with passion, it's because I came out of a prayer retreat. Not supposed to be preaching here. I'm supposed to be teaching. Sorry about that. <laughs> prayer. It, I, I can't remember where I read it. It's one of several books I had around me while I was praying, and it said that if all we want, if all we do is we fall so in love with God that all we want to do is go off and sit on a in, in, on a mountainside and pray all day long, we're of no use to God. Then He doesn't need you to do that. He doesn't need me to. Do, I mean, because I'm. I told you last week. I'm just one of these pure persons that's weird enough that would go to a monastery and maybe live there if all if I didn't have any family, you know. I'm just thinking, I'm just I just I, I just love it. But you know, guess what? I'm of no use. He can't use me then. Well, he uses those monks. That's okay. He he their prayers matter. We wouldn't have the Bible if it weren't for monks copying it by hand, all those centuries and centuries ago. You know what I'm saying? They they do a good work. Because the truth is they don't just sit on their hands and pray all day. They they either work at the copying of the scriptures, well, and now they print them in printing presses. But, you know, they grow vegetables. They do work in communities. Nuns go teach, you know. The Protestant world is real. It's a sad thing that the Protestant world does not know monasticism. Did you know there is a new, there's a, there's a new thing in our world today. It's called the new monasticism. It's happening all around us. The new monasticism. Monasticism is the is the movement that started in a couple about the second or third century. Um, Christians, some Christians were so fed up with the world and how evil it was and how, you know, little they seemed to impact it that they just wanted to go to the desert and get away. 
And so they founded communities. And first it was one, and then it was two, and then it was two. Next thing they had communities, and 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 they were spent. There's some writings called the writings of the desert fathers, and they're some of the greatest things you will ever read if you will read them. The writings of the desert fathers. Okay, and. Because you know what they learned out there in the desert and all that monastic, monastic means, you know, mono means one, solitary, time alone. Um, so a community of, of aloneness and, and separate, you know. What they learned was that they learned how to get in touch with, they, they learned about themselves, they learned about God, and they learned that God needed to send them back out in the world. So then guess what they did? Started founding hospitals. Started founding schools. Do you know the hospital was born by the church? The very first hospitals were church. They were monks and nuns that started them. They were, I mean, there's so much. So, another, again, that's for another class. Um, so, last week I made the statement. I've made it before, and it's hard to get into our heads. So, but this follows up on things. You, you're going to have to write this down. So, write it down. And um, do you, do you, did you get a pen? Did you need a pen? Let me throw you a pen. I've got some here. I really want everybody to write this down. I want you to write this down. I normally have one. That's okay. Um, I want you to write this down because this is tricky. Okay? Things don't happen because God knows them. Dot, dot, dot. (laughs) Okay? Things don't happen because God knows them. God knows them because they happen. Can you feel the difference after what I've just told you about him hearing our prayers before the foundation of the world and our freedom? God knows them because they happen. And it takes a little while to think this through. Okay? Yes, absolutely. Things don't happen because God knows them. God knows them because they happen. That is not original with me. Okay. That is not original. So don't ever give me credit for that. I heard it from an Orthodox priest who is now in heaven. His name was Father Thomas Hopko. And if you ever want to feel inclined, he has a podcast series called Speaking the Truth in Love. Probably... Ten years worth of podcast. H O P K O. And you'd have to go clear back to 2010, I think. February of 2010, he had a podcast called Providence, Predestination, and Prayer. And that's when I began to learn this stuff. And it's revolutionary. And to think there's been Christians out there that have known this all along. Um, but, you know, it was passed down through the ages. It just... There's so much we don't know. So much we don't know. Now, why do I say that? Why did he say that? Why am I saying that? Because it's the only way we can understand God. If, God, if things happen because God knows them, then he's the one determining what happens. It's just logic if you think it through, okay? So if I say, he uses the illustration on his podcast. He's, he's, uh, he, was an old, he was an old man. He was a retired he was a retired uh, dean of the Orthodox Seminary in New York. He lived in, a, he lived, him and his wife, 
uh, and his family, Orthodox priests, you know, they can marry. They're not like Catholic priests. And he had a family and children and everything. And he was a dean of the seminary of the Orthodox Church in New York and um, St. Vladimir's Orthodox Seminary. And he was retired, so they called him Dean Emeritus. And he was by the, he started a podcast ministry with the advent of, you know, technology. And um, sitting in his little study there in Elwood City, Pennsylvania, <laughs> where there was a little monastery. I mean, they, yeah, he lived there uh, on a house on the properties. And he was teaching. And, one, and as he listened, he said, you know, here's an example. Let's say... I'm not going to go up to, you know, I, I start thinking my stomach hurts tonight. I'm not going to go up to services, you know, to the evening uh, prayer services at the, at the church. I'm just going to stay home because I don't feel good. Did I stay home because God knew I would stay home? Or did I decide to stay home? And so that becomes the reality that God then knows. The only way this works is that we're free. The only way the world works is that we're free. The only way God works as a loving God is that we're free. We're free beings to make our decisions. We can love him, we can hate him. We can love each other, we can hate each other. We can pray or we can not pray. We can do good, the good works that he prepared. You remember when the Bible talks about good works in the book of Ephesians? That he prepared beforehand, before the foundation of the world. Wow. The book of Revelation tells us that Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, was slain before the foundation of the world. Wow. How is it possible that theologically, one of the, I don't have time to get into that, it's 723. I, I just have so much I want to tell you, but I, I don't want to create any, any more confusion for tonight. Let me finish my notes. God, our prayers are what informs his plans. Okay? The prayers he heard before the foundation of the world. The prayers that hopefully we're praying. The prayers that hopefully we'll begin to pray. Okay? God is, 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 every analogy breaks down, but perhaps the best one is to use God as an architect. He's an architect, and and he wants to build the world. But he doesn't want to build the world just for his own pleasure in the way he wants it. He wants to build the world that his free beings will live in. And so he makes us free. He knows what they'll ever do and he decides to do it anyway. Why? Because he loves us. And love is always free. And so our prayers are what informs his plan before the foundation of the world. So you ask yourself, how important are our prayers are the most important thing in the world. There's nothing more important than prayer. That's why there's no higher work of the human soul than to, to pray, to learn to pray. I want to share this book with you tonight. It's called Beginning to Pray. Some of you have bought it because I've shared it in my Bible study and things. It's by a man named Anthony Bloom. Anthony Bloom of blessed memory. He's, he's uh, died some time ago. Anthony Bloom was actually... He's humble on here, just as Anthony Bloom, but he truly was a metropolitan of the Russian Orthodox Church. He was the patriarch of Moscow of, uh, of the 20th century, of a lot of the 20th century. Um, 
which is a bishop, a, the main bishop over the whole Russian Orthodox Church, okay, the Metropolitan of Moscow. He, he rose to that length. He tells his story as a young child coming to faith uh, in the beginning introduction of the book. It's an interview that some writer did with him. He was a born, his father was a diplomat in Russia uh, before the revolution, was serving abroad in Europe, and then after the revolution they couldn't go home. And uh, talks about his life and talks about how he finds faith in Christ, believes God is real because he reads the Gospel of Mark. He, he, it's a wonderful story. I can't tell it all to you. I'll save it for when you read the book. But it, this is truly, it's, you can see how short the book is. One of the most foundational books I've ever read on my life in prayer and for life in general. Um, and he, he shares in here how it was actually reading the Gospel of Mark that, that really drew him to faith. He went home one day and asked his mother, do we have any Bible? <laughs> and his mother said, yeah, we've got a Bible. And so he looks at him, he figures out that Mark is the shortest of the four Gospels, so he starts with Mark. He says, I'm not going to waste my time. <laughs> I'm not going to waste any longer than I have to, but I'm going to figure this out. If God is really real, okay? <laughs> and you need to know the backstory as to why you need to figure that out. But in the process of reading the Gospel of Mark, he says, while I was reading the beginning of St. Mark's Gospel, before I reached the third chapter, and if you remember, the Mark's Gospel is the one that just starts right out there in Jesus' ministry. There's no genealogy records. There's no way he's a baby. It's just, boom, he's right there in the wilderness, you know, getting baptized. While I was reading the beginning, I reached, before I reached the third chapter, I suddenly became aware that on the other side of my desk, there was a presence. And the certainty was so strong that it was Christ standing there. And that it has, ne the, the certainty was so strong that it was Christ standing there that it has never left me. And he's an old man writing this not too many years before he died. He was a teenager then. Bless you. Thank you. He said this was the real turning point. Because Christ was alive and I had been in his presence, I could say with certainty that what the gospel said about the crucifixion of the prophet of Galilee was true. And the centurion was right when he said, truly he is the son of God. It was in the light of the resurrection that I could read with certainty the story of the gospel knowing that everything was true in it because the impossible event of the resurrection was to me more certain than any event in history. History I had to believe. The resurrection I knew for a fact. I did not discover, as you see, the gospel beginning with its first message of the Annunciation. It did not unfold for me as a story which one can believe or disbelieve. It began as an event that left all problems of disbelief behind because it was a direct personal experience. Reading God's word, he felt Christ in the room. And you want to tell me, reading the word of God, it's on there, scripture, it's a type of prayer, okay? Um, God inhabits his word. So, there's, it's, it's, well, there's so much I want to share, and I don't have time. Um, but that's why we're going to meet again next week. Um, uh, let me say this. And I don't know if I can find that right page right now. I want to say this about petitionary prayer. Okay, because we want to ultimately learn about all of these. Uh, next week, I'm going to move on. I'm not going to come back to this idea that 
before the foundation of the world. I mean, you, you wrote it down. I want you to read it down. I want you to think about it. If you have questions, I'll be glad to talk with you. But I'm not going to just keep bringing that up every week. I want to keep moving on, okay? But please, if you just can't get it, we'll talk about it more, please. I want you to get it, okay? But I want to say this petitionary prayer is the prayer that we're most used to. It is the prayer of our needs. This is the prayer that we are so uh, adept at. We constantly bring our needs before the Lord. And as you can see here on these questions that come from your own souls and your own hearts, there's question as to whether God is even answering your prayers. And that's not just you. I think everyone thinks that way. At, 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 if It's human to think that way. And so how can we know that God hears us? How can we be sure that we're getting through? How can we do that? Because God is love. God is light. God is truth. He will, he's not careless. He doesn't lose your prayers. In fact, here's the, he knows what you want to pray before, I think you said that, or before you even pray it. See, we get hung up with our words. We think, well, I, I don't know how to pray. I don't need, they're, they're asking Jesus, teach us how to pray. And so he gives them this formula. And, 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 and it, it's meant for a pattern for our lives. But it's not about the words. He knows. And so now I'm just giving you a glimpse into what, I gave you a glimpse into what scripture prayer is. I'm giving you a glimpse into what contemplative prayer is. Contemplative prayer is when we can come to a place where we don't even need words. Okay? Uh, and there's so much more I need to say on that. But I'm just tipping, dipping our toe in the water, okay? But just know this as you leave tonight. God knows your heart. He's your creator. He loves you. He wants nothing but your best. Nothing but your best. Jesus said, I came that you might have life and have it abundantly. He is the source of life. In him there is truth. If we walk with, if we walk with him, we have fellowship one with another. And in him there is no darkness at all. That's John from 1 John. And the truth is, before you pray tonight, when you go home, and you think about this class and you pray something, whatever it is you want to pray, God already knows your heart. So, with that knowledge, you can't ask wrongly. With that knowledge, you can't ask wrongly. He knows. So, here's what you want to do. You want to begin to pray for what He wants you to pray for. So, maybe the best thing we can do, maybe the reason Jesus gave us this beautiful model is so that we can begin by centering ourselves. Our Father. Send ourselves on God, our Father, who art in heaven. Hallowed be thy name. You are so holy, God. And if you're like me, you'll get caught up and you'll forget what part line you're on. So you can keep a written copy in front of you. It's okay. <laughs> what line comes next? Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, you can do that. That's okay. That's what the written prayers are great for that. Hallowed be your name. And just and you'll eventually get to your petitions, but guess what? He already knows what you need. He already knows what you need. He already knows what you're thinking. He already knows. And it's only in prayer, all of these, scripture prayer, contemplative prayer, petition prayer, all of them have to fit together in the well-rounded follower of Christ so that we learn to think God's thoughts after him. That's what it means to ask in Jesus' name. God, God really doesn't care 
if you say, in Jesus' name, amen, God does not care. You want to you end your prayer however you want to end it. But praying in Jesus' name isn't about words. It's about thinking God's thoughts after him. In his name is the essence of who he is. The holy name. The holy name. The name that the Jews wouldn't write. The name that the Jews wouldn't speak. You know, because it's too holy. It's the essence of who he is. Somehow it gives us a glimpse into his essence. Well, I could go on all night. Okay, but I don't want to. Um, I mean, I do want to, but I don't want you to. I mean, you're, you're going to be tired. So, um, As the weeks go by, I want to this class to be different. It's not. I told you some of it's going to be lecture, a lot of it's going to be lecture, but I don't want it to be lecture. I want you to stop me. I want you to ask questions. I want to interact with you. I want you to get some of this stuff, though, but I want to, I want to be experiential. Okay. So as we get into some of these things like scripture prayer and contemplative prayer, we're going to... I don't have to teach you about petitions. You already know how to pray for things you want and need, right? But I do want to teach about how we pray the scriptures and how we uh, practice contemplative prayer in our life and uh, Christian meditation, things like that. Okay, and next week is Ash Wednesday. We will not have class because we have an Ash Wednesday service for the whole church. Ash Wednesday, for those of you who may not know, is the beginning of the season of Lent. And for those of you who don't know what the season of Lent is, it's an ancient time of the church calendar in which we prepare our hearts for the miracle of Easter. The miracle of, of Pascha, as they say in the Greek. The Passover. That Christ, the Lamb of God, was slain for us before the foundation of the world. There it is again. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, Lent is a time of fasting, a time of increasing our prayers. Okay. Um, so, when we get back the week after next, okay, I'll have some soup, but I won't ha- we won't have the wonderful Sylvia's desserts and the wonderful, because it, it's going to be about fasting. Traditional Christian fasting days are Wednesdays and Fridays. It's just tradition in the Christian church. Jews fasted in the Old Testament on Tuesdays and Thursdays were traditional days, and the Christians adopted the practice of Wednesdays and Fridays in the earliest church. That doesn't mean you have to. I'm just saying, don't fast because somebody tells you you should. Fast because you want to spend more time in prayer. And you want to help have God teach you how to conquer your own appetites. Okay. Those, those important things about fasting. That's just a very small touch on it. Foster's got chapters on it here. But um, so we'll, we'll still have a little soup because I like the idea of fellowship together and breaking bread together. But it'll be light. Okay. This is light, but it'll be even lighter. <laughs> um, any questions before we close? Yes. When you're talking about the free will, you know, does... God gives us the free will. Does he know, he knows what we're going to choose before we choose it? You know, I mean, if we're going to, we do, we do something. Good question. Because it's what we want to do. If God knows everything we're thinking, everything we're going to do. So he knows ahead of time what we're going to choose. No. He knows when you choose it. So when it happens. And then you can say God knew that before the foundation of the world. Because God saw everything before it ever happened. Right. <laughs> Isn't that confusing? Is that confusing? Is that confusing or what? He would be able to know it, but he chose not to to give us our free will. Right. Correct. Okay, that makes sense. Correct. But he wants you to be free. He, you are free. He doesn't yeah. just want it. He willed it. He yeah. willed you into existence as a free moral agent. Right. And as you choose, he, and for us today, Okay, because we, we, th- we cannot escape. We are human beings. We cannot escape thinking on a linear timeline. Mm-hmm. 
And to really get this, you've got to escape that. You've got to see that God is, there is no, to God there is no yesterday. To God there is no tomorrow. There is only the present. He's the, he's the eternal being. To be or not to be, okay, to quote Shakespeare. He is the only one that can be. Okay, we never live in the present until we're with him. Okay, we think this is the present, but guess what? That was a second ago when I was thinking about saying this was the present. Okay? And I'm always, oh, no, this present, no, I was there. You know, you just you get silly, I know, but, but this is what it's about. So, to answer, if you can escape this timeline of when God knows or when I know that God knows, okay, we can rest in the knowledge that God is sovereign and that he built his plan for the world to give us the freedom. And in that freedom, glorious freedom, there's where life really exists. Okay? Because if we don't have that freedom, we don't really have love. We're just robots, like somebody said earlier. Don't want to be a robot. They're getting really good at making robots these days. It's kind of scary. But I don't want to be a robot. Okay. Good question. Keep thinking. Very good question. Keep thinking. It, it takes a while. Took me. I, I, I bet I, I, I bet I went over it and over it. I don't know how many times to. I still go over it, you know. But I, well, sometimes you grow. it just takes hearing it in a, in a different, a few different words. Yes, yes. And and I'm not real good at this. Okay, I'm not real good at trying to make it sound so easy to understand. So forgive me. I may not present it in a really easy, understandable way. There's probably some teacher that's really better at this than me. Like Father Hopko. Go listen to Father Hopko. I think he's pretty good at it. Um, but uh, good question. Any other questions? Thoughts? Would you pray with me? Could we pray together as our Lord taught us to pray? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our super substantial bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Deliver us, Lord, from every evil. Okay? Deliver us, Lord, from every evil and grant us peace in our day. And in your mercy, keep us free from sin. You get it? Okay. And then you... Join in with me, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. I just, my, I had a middle block and locked up. I couldn't quote that. That I quoted so easily earlier. You know, but you got the point. Amen. Amen. This has been Forming the Spirit Within. I'm Roger Culver, inviting you to tune in next time as Pastor Brad opens God's Word, helping us to form the Holy Spirit within us. Until then, may grace and peace be with you.